0: You are now tuning in to the Mind Body podcast, where you will go behind the scenes of how the mind of successful entrepreneurs, experts, and true leaders really works. Here you won't just listen, you will understand the guiding principles to create massive change in any area of your life. And of course, this podcast is hosted by the strong, lovely, with the sexy Jewish accent, Lidor Dayan. much for being on the Mind Body podcast. Uh, I'm honored to have you and uh, I really appreciate uh, the time being on my show. Uh, so I would like you to start by introducing yourself like in five minutes so people can know who you are and what you do.
1: First of all, thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it, man. Um, my name is Jerry Ward. I've been in the fitness industry for about 27 years now. Um, I started when I was fif- uh, 15 years old. I got suspended from high school and I um, I thought I was going to take the day off and just chill and do nothing. And my older cousin had a different intention. So he came over, you know, he was still in school. So I'm not really sure why he was even out of school that day. But he came to my house and made me go in the basement and lift weights all day as like a punishment. And we literally had like the Weeder principal posters and stuff in the basement. We had a full setup. We had like an incline you know, flat bench. And, you know, we had um, a preacher curl down there. We had like the bicep blaster. We had an easy curl bar. We had pretty much a, a solid setup in the basement. And um, halfway through, you know, the first like half hour, my arms started to like inflate and I felt the pump for the first time in my life. And I was like, wow. So I was like, this is amazing. So, you know, I just like took to it like a fish to water. Like I took the dumbbells upstairs in my room and I would train like in the morning before school, like try to pump up before school, <laughs> go to school I'd get home from school. The first thing I would do is like do all the exercises again and just like fell in love with it. And it took a while for me to um, kind of get up enough courage to join a gym. And when I finally joined the gym, you know, I noticed, I was like, wow, these guys are really big. Like, you know, I thought it was cool looking at the magazines and stuff, but the guys at the gym were so big. And I was like, I want to be like those guys. It was like something so new to me that, like, you know, being the small you know, teenager, being able to transform yourself really, really appealed to me. So by the time I was 17, um, I decided I was going to compete in bodybuilding in a natural bodybuilding show. So I was a senior in high school, jumped in the show, and immediately was bitten by the, the bodybuilding bug, I guess you call it. I couldn't get enough. I mean, all I wanted to do was train, eat, compete. Like it was like nonstop magazines. Like it was just, that's all I wanted to do. So when I graduated high school and I went to college or to the art Institute in Fort Lauderdale. They had the, uh, the, um, NPC nationals there that year. So now I really got to see what like the guys on drugs look like and the nationals competitors. And then I was totally blown away. I was like, okay, that's the next step. So let's do that next. You know? So I came home from school and um said, so, you know, I don't want to do advertising design, I want to be a personal trainer. And went and got my first certification at uh, 18 years old for the ISSA, the International Sports Science Association. Fred Hatfield, Dr. Fred Hatfield is actually the one who certified me. And um, I started as a trainer back then and, you know, just kept on competing and literally competed in bodybuilding for 20 years nonstop. Well, I took a break for about two years and was a professional wrestler. And um, when I came back from professional wrestling, I continued to compete. Um, competed for 20 years on stage. The bodybuilder decided that, you know, that point, the drugs that I was doing were not going to be good for me. So I had to really kind of take into account that I, you know, I can't do this much longer and get away without hurting myself. So I retired from bodybuilding. And then a couple of years later, when physique was starting to, um, before it was to the extreme level it is now, I was like, well, I think I could try that without having to be on all the drugs. So I competed in physique for three years and get to the national level there. Um, before finally getting on the national stage for physique and realizing within that two years, the drugs have progressed so much in that part of that sport that I was like, I'm gonna have to go back on just as much drugs to do physique. The guys outweighed weighed me by 25 pounds in the, the class. So I was like, there's, they were talking about using insulin and all these different things. So at that point, I just kind of backed off and said, you know, I'm done with competing now. Through this whole time, I'm learning, 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 you know, I'm learning from people like Phil Hernan who was one of my coaches, Kevin Lebroni, who was one of my closest friends, Jake Cutler, who was one of my very close friends, all these people that have been close to me, I've been learning from through the, this whole time of the 27 years, and I started applying it to my personal training. So now because I'm around those guys, I learned a lot more about diet, I think, than the average person learns when they first start out. Like mm-hmm. I learned that a lot of the gains you're gonna get is due to diet. A lot of the fat loss you're gonna get is due to diet. Like everything you're gonna do is like training's important, but diet is at least 50% of it, if not more. So that led me to the point where I really just wanted to understand more about the diet like how to manipulate macros, stuff like that and why, how the body works, stuff like that. That gave me the coin term, the diet guy. I started doing diets for other people's clients at that point because my clients were doing so well in competition that they were seeing them going, well, can you do the diet for my client? So real quickly, like, I'd walk in the gym and be like, who's that, like, who's he tra- that guy training that girl over there? Like, oh, it's Jerry, the diet guy," And that's where the diet guy name came from. I kind of got that coin while I was training the other, tra- the clients, trainer, I mean, while I was dieting the
0: other trainers' clients. What do you think, uh is one of the misconceptions in the general population that uh, a lot of people uh, don't understand when it's come to either nutrition and waking up.
1: I think they think every food is the same as long as the calories are counted. Um, you know, scientists right now are coming out with more and more talking about and it's great that they're talking about it because right now or for a while it's been broken up into science related um, individuals and then they call them scientists which are, you know, the bros are the people that basically, they don't know why something works, they just know something works. Mm -hmm. You know, so what happens is they'll say, like, the most random thing because they don't know why it works, so they have to have an explanation to tell somebody. So when they say it, the science people go, well, that's so off-base that it's so dumb, it's bro, it's this, it's like, well, he's still replicating it. So regardless of how he understands it, he still figured out more than the science person actually knew. You know, Mm -hmm. we're seeing a lot of the people that knew science, like, through the books and stuff, they've actually disappeared when they were here four or five years ago, preaching about science, 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 and they have the way and the new way, and science dictates this, and, you know, the bros have been doing this, like, you know, predominantly most of the people that compete in bodybuilding and the fitness industry are bro. And then all of a sudden there was this big, like, just a huge, like, tsunami of people coming in talking about science, 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 and they didn't even work out. Like, half of them didn't even understand anything about the sport. They would tell people like Phil Heath that they're training wrong oh that's not optimal training and here he is the best in the world so now here we are four or five years later And i think that um the people that really were seduced by the iif crowd by the science crowd i think a lot of them didn't get the results they wanted with the last few years and have moved on to other trainers that are more bro and a lot of those science guys like Ian McCarthy, just disappeared like he was out there pounding science science but he himself never created a physique he himself never created a champion so it's like you have all these books and I think the average person, what they do is they hear the word science or study or clinical or um, doctor and they automatically go, they listen to that person. Even though that person literally has never produced a single ounce of muscle anywhere in anybody, mm-hmm. they listen to that person. And I'm like, that's great, but, you know, 65 years now, we've been getting lean and big and using drugs that the doctors don't even understand why we're using them or how we're using them. And we've progressed so fast beyond what doctors and um and scientists know about the human body, like, they didn't think that someone like Ronnie Coleman could carry 300 pounds of lean mass like that. They had no idea. You know, my doctor, when I was going to use insulin, was like, why are you going to use insulin? He didn't even know why bodybuilders use insulin. Like if you're a doctor and you understood insulin, you should understand at least that it's a storage hormone. Maybe it could be like they understand none of it. You know, so I look at it like, you know, the science is great because the bro is actually, like, Dan Duchesne was a bro, but he took the science first. You look at the science and say, well, how can we apply that to bodybuilding? And I think that's pretty much where it lies. Like, the science is the foundation of the basis. Then these bros have to take that science and experiment with it on their own to figure out what results are coming with it because there's, like, ten different things that happen from one scientific study. There are like, ten different results that can happen from it. So they start doing these self-experiments over and over again, and then you wind up being able to recreate them. Now, every good scientist wants to be able to recreate their experiment over and over again because that's what gives it validity if it works just one time that doesn't make it you know mean it works just means it worked that one time so the bros technically over and over and over again are replicating these results they're replicating things with diet drugs training whereas the science guys they have all this information that's been studied but they apply it and it doesn't do the same thing
0: Did you so find the, big
1: misconception, you? the big misconception i think is whether it's food or training or drugs or whatever is that if Science says this is what it does, that is the only absolute. And I think, honestly, science says, you know, if you take testosterone this happens, like I actually know a chemist that works at NIH, like I live in D.C., and we had this discussion about these receptors in the body that can catch the overflow of androgens, use them as androgens even though they are not antigen receptors. Now, not a single one of these science guys I know know about that. However, the bros would take excessive amounts of anabolic steroids and they would get increased in results taking more. Which if your receptors are already taken care of and, and the drug is attached to the receptor, that should be impossible. So the bros knew that you could get these results, while the science based people would say that's impossible because there's only so much a receptor could take. You know, but there's like advanced scientists that understand more receptors. So like there's so much out there. Like I just think that, you know, most people think that there's a blueprint and there's a way to do something. I think there's probably twenty different ways to do one thing across the board. So there's there's no like one specific way that works better than any other.
0: Yeah. Did you find yourself along the years, uh, when you become more professional and using drugs that I- your body gets some sort of addiction to it?
1: Um, it's definitely a baseline that it builds up. So don't forget the hormones. So as you bring your baselines hormonally up, like your estrogen changes, your thyroid changes, your growth hormone changes, your insulin changes, and bodybuilders, what they want to do is optimize all those hormones. So they're going to take like testosterone, insulin, growth hormone, thyroid, they're going to take everything. So, you know, the effects of the drugs, like, you know, you build up, like, a tolerance to them in, like, a baseline, but, you know, even then, it's like, you know, maybe 500 milligrams would work for one person, another one needs 1,500. Like, it's so, they vary so much across the board that there is no, like, absolute, regardless whether it's diet, drugs, training, there is no absolute. Mm
0: -hmm. And as a guy that's training many, many years, and you've been training with a lot of pros, like Kevin Livroni, Jay Cutler, too, right? Yes. many people that when they see those pro they think ah yeah it's steroids but many people that even use steroids can't look like that if they don't have you know uh, the the discipline to train how to stay focused because it's a lot about mindset when you go to the gym and you actually training and not uh, just like Arnold said uh, texting and uh, you know so what uh, did you learn a lot uh, along the years uh, from the training aspect from all the pros you've been with? Um, I think the thing that
1: I learned the most is that your body's capable so much more than you think it is. So like these pros, um, you know, for instance, we'll use Kevin for instance, uh, example. So when I met Kevin, it was 2008. We met through a mutual friend. And I was going to do a competition. I was going to hire someone else. And Kevin was like, why don't I just help you? Like, let me let me help you. And I was like, that's amazing. You know what I mean? I looked up to Kevin when I was younger, so it was like, yeah, absolutely. And then I went to the gym with him on the first workout and realized like as hard as I had been pushing for like 15 years, there was no way that I was training like these guys were training. They were training, they're like next level as soon as you walk in the gym. So, you know, I was going through these workouts with Kevin just getting beaten up. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like Kevin told me about one uh, time where he trained legs and it was like 10.30 at night. And he did like, you know, like a 20-set leg workout and just demolished himself. And he got home and he was thinking to himself and, you know, Kevin was a pioneer. Like he would think of things. Like, you know, let's try this, let's try that, because everybody was breaking new ground during that time. And what he did was, at like 11 o'clock at night, sitting there, he said, well, I don't know if I stimulated growth. So he set his alarm clock, and six hours later, or it was 10 hours later, whatever he slept, like, he went back to the gym and did the whole workout again in the morning. So he woke up, went right back to the gym, did 25 sets of the same exact workout with the same poundages, if not heavier, to try to make sure that he stimulated growth in his legs. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, I got through the leg workout with him barely. I can never do it in the morning. So these guys are so far ahead of everybody when they go in the gym. Like, people watch them train and they think, they, well, they're just moving weight through space. I can do that. It's not the same. And I don't know how to explain it, but it's just not the same. Like, when you walk in the gym with Jake Cutler, I've trained with Jake Cutler, I've trained with Kevin Lebroni. Like, when you walk in the gym with these guys, it's like you can feel the... Uh, intensity
0: when they walk in the gym, but do you think like that the mindset, just, the mindset, is still something you can uh, have that kind of extreme mindset in the gym when you're not using any, you know, supplementation?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think well, I think a lot of them back off a little bit, but even when they back off, when they're off, they're still training harder than the average person. Like the average person, not on drugs, if they go in there while these guys are off, they probably still can't keep up. Mm-hmm. Like they're just they have not just the genetics, but they have a work ethic that I don't know how it's been instilled in them. Like, you know, Jay was one of the first guys to just say, you have to stay lean year-round, right? Like, Jay chose to stay lean year-round and opened up more opportunities for him because he was in shape when other guys weren't. You know, that mindset to stay lean like that when everybody else is getting bloated, eating all kinds of burgers and stuff, like, that takes a different type of individual, you know? And Kevin's the same way. He's no different. You know, Ronnie Coleman, he made some junk food here and there, but he's not even competing anymore. He's had like 10 back surgeries and he'll still eat chicken and broccoli or chicken and, excuse me, chicken and potatoes or something like that. Like they just have this mindset where if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it to my best of my ability and I'm not just going to go in there like putz around and just see what I can do. You know, like they, they go in there with the mindset of I'm going to do every, even if they were be, like sweeping the floor, they're going to sweep the floor to the best of their abilities no matter what. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's just their mindset they attack everything
0: do you believe uh, quality over quantity?
1: Um, I do. For some people, um, it's kind of hard to explain because that quantity. If you look at Jay and oh, so I'd say Kevin is like a moderate volume trainer. He'll do like twelve sets for chest and stuff. Jay would do like twenty to twenty-five sets. Dorian would do like five or six. So you could argue the quality of Dorian's sets would be, you know, more because he can do less and get it done in that amount of time. But if you train with Jay and kevin you still can't get through the workouts you know so it's like they all have this like you know quality to their training however there are guys that mentally they could push themselves so far like dorian mike Menzer, um ian harrison was one of those guys trevor smith was one of those guys they push themselves so far that their injuries come faster you know mm-hmm. we saw jay keller get injured at the end of his career we saw um, kevin Lebronny get injured um it wasn't more like the middle of his career, but Kevin was one of those guys that even at moderate, um, you know, intensity, I mean, he was still training hard. It wasn't like super high intensity like Dorian, but he was still incline benching 500 pounds. You know, if you went to see Jay in the morning, he's bench pressing 500 pounds in the morning. And he comes back at night to train shoulders and he's shoulder pressing 150 pound dumbbells. So it's like they have volume, but they don't necessarily go to the point where they're going to rip something off the bone like all the time. Where Dorian consistently went where he was like almost going to rip something like every set.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I remember, like six, seven months ago, I interviewed Ben Pakoski. You probably know him, mm-hmm. and uh, he's a lot about tempo, tempo, tempo. You need to put your muscle under tension. And I'm curious, sure. what do you think about this as far as building muscle?
1: Uh, well, I, okay, I'm not. We'll use Ben Pakoski as a perfect example. And I don't know Ben. I've never met him. Never talked to him. However, he is one of those science guys. He's one of the guys that agrees in science. Now, if Ben never built a physique even remotely close to Jay Cutler or Phil Heath, or any of these guys. He, I mean, he really talked a bunch of smack about how he's going to beat um, Branch Warren on stage one time at the Olympia, and then Branch handed him his ass because they outworked him. So if that tempo really made a difference, he should be able to bang heads with those guys and beat him, right? And he couldn't. So that's what I'm talking about, the science. Like, you got guys that I feel like could outwork somebody that had the scientific ability. I feel like if you took Branch Warren and Ben Popolsky, Brandt and Ben had all the science in front of him about how to train with tempos and all this stuff, Branch is still going to train harder than than Ben Popolsky is ever going to train. He's still going to push himself harder. He's still going to eat more. He's still going to do all the things intensely because he is just pushing himself. He doesn't know where the limits are, whereas Ben is, all there's a limit because there's a tempo. Branch doesn't know a limit, so he's going to push himself beyond where that tempo is, faster results, and then beat him on stage. And that's exactly what happens. Like, the tempo thing, I've seen people throughout the years, like, tempo this, tempo that, But then you look at Jay Cutler, Kevin Lebroni, Flex Wheeler, Ronnie Coleman, um, Dorian Yates, none of them use tempo. They're all great champions that are way more accomplished than Ben is. So, if Ben was correct in his tempo training, he should be able to take anybody and make them a great bodybuilder, and I'd you have to see him put someone on the stage, that is great. So I look at it like that. Like, you know, I think that a lot of people are like Ben Kowski's used with M50 or whatever, MI50 or whatever the thing is. Well, yeah, science-based this, science-based that. Well, he still didn't live up to the other guys that don't even know anything about science.
0: Yeah.
1: And I'm going to tell you right now, it's not like Ben didn't take enough drugs. You know what I mean? Like Ben took drugs like everybody else took drugs. He loaded up his shoulder with Synthol. I mean, he did everything the other guys did except he hid behind science and thought he was very cocky, as a matter of fact. He was very cocky about it. he knew the scientific facts. And, Science this, science that, and he failed. He failed completely, he never won the Arnolds. I don't know if he ever really won a show, but he never walked in a decent lineup and did well. So I don't understand how, you know, people go, Well the science is gonna do this, like I'll tell you right now, I'd rather go train with Jay or Phil Heath or any one of these guys, because you're gonna learn that you can push yourself so much further than you thought you could, rather than, you know, train with Ben and learn these tempos and stuff like that, which, you know, if it really worked, then you should be cranking out these champion athletes left and right, and that's not what's happening. You know, like, matter of fact, some of these great champions used to go train with Dorian, and Dorian would put them through a workout. He crushed them. They couldn't get through the workout. You know, I remember that Dorian, um, I spent last summer, I spent a weekend in Vegas with Dorian, and I asked him, who do you respect the most in the fitness industry? He said, Kevin Lebroni. He actually said, Kevin Lebroni. He said he came out to England, they shut the gym down, and uh, Kevin asked to train back because that was Dorian's body part. And he said, "Kevin, pound for pound, kept up with him." He said, "I don't know what happened after the workout. He might have passed out after the workout." I said, "But he kept up with me for the whole workout." You know, Chris Cormier went over there training. He wound up throwing up and passing out out back. Like these guys that you know were competing in a story when they actually went toe to toe in the gym with him, couldn't stand with him, and that's why he was beating them. You know, so I do think that there's the tempo. I don't think you should train too fast or too slow. You know, I think that there's a, a good in between. Um, but there's definitely something to say that i think the intensity and recovery i think recovery is the most important part of it that people don't understand like these guys know about recovery and if you ask the average person how recovery they go like drink a Gatorade like, they don't understand you know like recovery has to take place before muscle growth takes place mm-hmm. if that doesn't happen you won't grow all these other guys have it down pat so it's like the little things that they think of like I'll turn your toes up do they like these guys weren't thinking anything like that and they all became the best now a lot of people, again, talk about steroids, but they're all taking steroids. So it's like, you know, I got I know guys that weigh 180 pounds, they're probably taking more than Jay Cutler ever took when he goes on stage. They still don't look like Jay. You know, so it's like they can't match him pound for pound at the gym. They're not gonna eat 1,000 grams of carbs like he used to eat. Like, these are things, like, I don't know if you've ever tried to eat 1,000 grams of carbs, but you get 1,000 grams of carbs from clean food down, that's very hard to do, Jay used to do it all the time.
0: As a natural bodybuilder, you think that, uh... A person that's going into the gym need to train more than an hour because there is a lot of misconception about if it's more than an hour then it doesn't really makes any effect and some like ah oh, because you see people like uh, uh, Ronnie Coleman and people that's uh, very legend they train their ass off like two three hours in the gym but yeah. uh, let's don't forget that there is some you know they're not natural so as, as a natural uh, a competitor or bodybuilder that just building his body want to have a great physique do you think it's necessary to really put yourself in the gym for hours by hours
1: I mean it depends on the person you know I really think it depends on the person but Jay Cutler when he was training um, when he first turned pro he gave me his routine and I followed his routine it was a two-day routine and I couldn't do it for more than a week and I was on steroids like my body could not recover I couldn't figure out why the hell I couldn't recover his genetics Ronnie Coleman's—you know, you gotta figure Ronnie Coleman trained each body part twice a week. It was squatting like seven, eight hundred pounds. Like the average powerlifter, I think, would only squat those poundages maybe once a week or once every couple of weeks. They use like 85% of their max or whatever. Like he was doing that twice a week. So when you stop and think about that, like he's doing not just high volume, he's doing high, like high intensity too, with the extremely heavy weights, and he's doing the frequency that you guys wouldn't do either—like twice a week frequency. So, I mean, you know, as a natural, I would go in the gym and maybe I would be in the gym five hours a day because I just, I was a teenager and I thought it was like the coolest thing, but I wasn't growing, you know what I mean? I was there just kind of putzing around wasting my time, but when I really got it down, like, I feel like you can, you can tell, like, you can tell when your body's had enough and like, usually like now, you know, when I'm in the gym, if I'm in the gym an hour, I think that's plenty to get out of it, what you technically need. But there are guys that are doing the volume that need four or five minutes rest between sets. Well when you're resting more it increases the time you're in the gym. So it's not like they're training nonstop, like every thirty seconds they're doing a set. They may be really going after it failing on twelve reps in a squat. When they rack that weight after twelve reps in a squat when you fail, like you physically fail and crumble under the weight, you need a good five, six, seven minutes of rest before the next set. Mm -hmm. You know, so it just it depends. Like I don't think there's any absolutes. Again, I think one natural guy can go to the gym, train for four hours and be fine. Another guy going to the gym, over 45 minutes, he's fried. It just depends. Like, I think the diet has a lot to do with it. Um, if you're nourished properly and you go in the gym, you're going to be able to push and, and recover between sets faster than you would if um, you couldn't. It's like you just add steroids to that you recover faster. So technically, it's like, you know, you'd be able to do twice the amount in the gym on steroids as you would um, not on steroids. And your body's going to respond twice as good. But here's the thing. For an individual who's never... You know who just starts going to the gym how do you know as a natural what's enough or what's not that's the question and there is no scientific data there is no formula like kevin was thinking about that leg workout did i do enough to stimulate rope you know there is no answer to that question you know like i think that if you're in the gym for over now two hours and you're natural for three weeks and you just don't feel like going to the gym anymore and you get some nagging injuries you're probably over training but if you're going to the gym like you know for instance there was this one guy in massachusetts he would just do whatever exercise that made him sore until it stopped making him sore. And then he would switch the exercise. He would train for about two hours a day, which is you know a good clip. I mean, it's more than I really, really I would want to be at the gym. But he was natural, and he looked great. You know, so for him that was good for his body. If he did less, he felt like he didn't respond. If he did more, he felt like he overtrained. So he kind of found that sweet spot. And I kind of looked at it like, you know, that's what I noticed. Like in the gym that I started training, competing in, there's probably 20 natural bodybuilders in there each one of them we're just doing something different where it made it even harder with the, for, harder for them to train together with one another.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, so that's the thing is like, finding out what your body can handle and what your body can do, that's so key. You know, the problem is we start listening to other people that claim to know, and if there's one thing that I know is that none of this stuff is applicable to every single person, it's just not. And I wish it was, but it's just not, you know?
0: Yeah, it's like in anything, I think, in life. Many of us just try to have shortcuts, right? Like, I want to get it now, 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 now. But they don't develop the habits yet, and uh, their mindset is not fully in, right? So whenever I see like people just starting out and walking out, they want like, ah, I need protein shake, I need creatine, I need this, I need this, I need a fat burner. But until they actually develop that uh, discipline and habits of going to the gym, having better habits with their nutrition, then no matter if you take all the steroids and all the supplementations that's gonna get you big, you don't have the mindset yet. You don't have the mindset to push yourself and do that extra, right? Because when you right. see people like Jay or Ronnie Coleman, they started young. They developed that discipline consistently, year by year, and then they add up that, but their mindset was already there. Absolutely. I think that's the mindset of a generation then, and then generation
1: now is two different things. You know, we know now that people join a, um, a gym, And they've been in the gym for a week and they start asking around the gym, like, oh, can you get trend? Can you get this? Trend seems to be the hot one. But they start asking for steroids. Like they're in the gym for a week. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, I was in the gym for like four years before I even understood anything about that you guys were taking anything. You know, I knew they were bigger, but I didn't realize, you know, you always hear the rumors, this guy's thinking steroids, but I don't even know what steroids are, you know, when you're that young. But these kids, they know what steroids are before they even go to the gym. Mm -hmm. You know, some of them even wind up buying a pre-workout and vitamin shop before they even join a gym. So they can take their pre-workout first. And I'm like, dude, you don't even know how to do a bench press or a push-up or anything. You know what I mean? Like, they want to go from zero to 100. And I think that, you know, that is what is really holding back a lot of these guys nowadays because they're trying to get extremely far in an extremely short period of time. And they don't want to, A, waste their time, and B, waste their money. And I get it. So what they do is spend all this time reading and reading and reading and interacting in forums and stuff and getting advice from people that have already been doing it for, like, 15 years. And those people should be responsible enough to tell them, Look, you need to go to the gym. You need to get basic movement patterns down. You need to get the basic exercise down. You need to learn how to eat, know how to count macros. You need to learn all these things first before you start thinking about protein powders and pre-workouts and steroids and all this other stuff. You know, like it, it's not, and I think back in the day when we did it, it was, you know, we didn't have all those supplement options available to us. And steroids are extremely hard to get. You couldn't just walk into a gym and ask someone. You couldn't get them online. Like you had to be. In the gym for years and infiltrate that little circle of people that knew about steroids and was taking them, and that kept you in the gym training. You know, we were in the gym training two, three, four years before anybody said anything to us. Mm-hmm. So we already had four years of solid training under our belt, and since we didn't know any better, we were doing hamstrings, calves, traps, forearms. We were training everything, you know, the way that we thought it was supposed to be. Whereas a lot of the guys going now, and they're like squat, bench, deadlift. And that's all they do. They call it push, pull, legs, squat, bench, deadlift, squat, bench, deadlift, or maybe on. Um, deadlift day they might do a couple sets of chin-ups with it and uh leg day they, you know they only do their squats or maybe they do some uh stiff day le- legged deadlifts and they're out of the gym on their push day they do bench they do shoulder presses you know they do close grip bench presses they're out of the gym you know they literally are training this one similar way over and over again i'm sitting there going like there's so much more to it than just that to be you know if, if all we all we had to do was just that everybody just be doing that mm-hmm. you know but instead they're they're in there going I'm going to do push-pull legs, I'm going to take my pre-workout, tomorrow I'm going to order a train
0: online, you're like, it's like a whole new world that I, you know, it's shocking to me. And from a personal level, because you develop a very uh, great mindset uh, of taking yourself to the gym, having the discipline, either in the nutrition training, what do you see some of the patterns and habits that uh, help you on hard times in your life, for example, or maybe your lowest moments in life that help you? To overcome it.
1: Well, the training I loved. Like I mean, from the first day when I got punished in the basement, I loved it. It was like the coolest thing to me. And I noticed that as I was doing it, the girls really liked it. So that was like this whole like motivating thing. When I was younger, I was like, I just want to be big because like the girls like it. I feel strong, and you know, the diet was part of that. So now, you kind of combine those together. You're doing it for a little while. You do a competition. And once you do that competition, like, you have to do everything else in your life still. You have to go to work, you have to take care of your dog, you have to, you know, go visit your parents, go out with your girlfriend, and meanwhile, you're dieting. So by the time you get done with that diet, you've done regular life, but it almost feels like you've done regular life, with so much more stuff added to it that it's hard. So when you're done and you're not competing and you're not dieting and doing all the cardio, your regular life seems so much easier. So all of a sudden, you're like, well, you know, going to work is not that hard now. I'm sleeping seven, eight hours. I'm not sleeping two hours because I can't sleep because I'm all wired or not spending two hours in the gym doing my um, cardio. So I can take that two hours and I can study more for school or I can do this or whatever. So you kind of learn that you're like a lot tougher than you thought you were by being conditioned to do so much more. So now what happens, you do that long enough and something comes up like for me, heroin addiction when it came up, it was one of those things where, you know, if you're fighting during your daily life every year to either gain a pound of muscle or get ready for a show and you can barely keep your head up, well, when heroin comes, it's like another challenge. It's the same thing. You stick to your guns. like You know that I'm going to take it one day at a time instead of one rep at a time. I'm going to take it one day at a time, one hour at a time. And you know, to this day, I'm 16 years clean off heroin and opiates. And in America, we have this huge opiate problem right now. And when I walked into rehab, I told I was told basically I had zero chance of making it without having a relapse. And here I am, no relapse, 16 years clean. Like I did what they said was impossible. And as far as I know, I was the only bodybuilder that was in that rehab. So I looked at it as bodybuilding and conditioned my mind so much to be tough and strong and realize that, you know, like doing a show, if you do a diet for 12 weeks and you train for 12 weeks, when it's over, it's over. It goes away and you're fine. Like you don't even re- like you remember you did it, but you don't feel that pain anymore. So when you're looking at heroin addiction, just like a show, take it one day at a time. Time ticks by and when you get to the end of it and your addiction, your withdrawals are over, it's just like being done with a show. It's over. You're fine so it's like you get you learn from bodybuilding to mentally gut it out and as long as you can weather the storm in the end you're fine everything is fine like you just move on with your life and the bad hard things are behind you so with that mindset when anything comes at you it doesn't matter what it is whether it's a death in the family you know my father passed away i was on a plane with my meals packed in my cooler i landed i went to the hotel put everything in the refrigerator at the hotel went to the gym trained it wasn't a good workout but i went to the gym and trained i had my meals with me you know like I looked at it as my mind has been conditioned to do that no matter what now, and it's just a normal part of life, so when something big comes up, you apply that. So okay, I have to, you, you almost start like breaking things down, like, okay, I have to get to Rhode Island, where my family's at, book the flight. Like That would be like, when I got up in the morning, what meal am I going to have, and you figure out that meal. Okay, am I going to get all my stuff together? It's like packing all your, put all my suitcase and stuff together to travel. It's like packing all your food to go to the gym, because you're going to be gone for eight hours training clients. You, know I mean? you get on the flight, you fly there, first thing you do, put all your stuff away. You know, I mean, that's the same thing like if you wound up going on a vacation or something, you got a show coming up, you put all your stuff away when you like it all applies. It's all similar when you look at it like that. And I do feel like when you're done competing, you learn something about yourself every show. So if you compete for 20 years, you learn something every year. And you learn how tough you truly are or truly aren't. So let's say at least 85% of the people that try to get to the stage never get there. They pull out for one reason or another they pull out and usually it's a mental toughness not a physical thing it's a mental toughness thing that they pull out for so it's almost like bodybuilding is boot camp for real life mm-hmm. like you get conditioned over and over again to take the pain to take the hard time you know what i mean to keep pushing not give up And next thing you know stuff pops up in your life and you're able to not give up you're able to push you are able to move forward you're able to just keep doing what you do because you're conditioned from bodybuilding to do it
0: so for people that still in a spot that uh, might not be in heroin addiction, but they have addiction, and their body is conditioned to that addiction. What would you suggest to, for them to do? Because we all know that uh, in order to change any addictions, you gotta change the routine. You gotta switch it with something else that still reward you with some sort of the same result or feelings.
1: I mean, I didn't. Me personally, I didn't do that. You know, um, they. That's so. There's that what you're talking about is just to get somebody off of the drugs you're looking for one stimulus to replace another and that's not how you truly get clean that's how you you get off drugs but they wind up relapsing or they wind up you know, eventually just taking one shot and dying or you know relapsing several times and sometimes never getting clean at all you know sometimes they just wind up you know relapsing over and over again so you can't just say i'm going to take this um this thing and kind of apply it like that you have to go why am i doing this you know what I mean? Why am I sitting here doing this, this drug or this alcohol or whatever? What am I doing to make myself addicted? Like, this doesn't make any sense because it's not fun anymore, right? So you start to work at the root of that problem. So when you're working on that root of the problem, you're learning why you're doing this. So for me, it was when I was a kid, I was molested and then I had my cousin pass away at an early age in a drunk driving accident. Those two things combined, I held on to. Now, I could have just quit doing drugs and then took up boxing for the stimulus. You know, what's going to happen is I don't have the tools to deal with things um, emotionally. So when those things pop up back again, other things, I'm going to want to go back to drugs. So the stimulus doesn't necessarily help. What you're talking about is like when you get off the drugs, you have a dopamine low or a serotonin low. So people try to do things to get excitement to bring that back up. You know, go on roller coasters, take up boxing, take up golf, um, take up collecting baseball cards. But that stimulus is only like the small part to get you off the drug. To stay off the drug, you need to work on that root problem figure out what it is that you're doing and why you're doing it. It's not fun anymore. You know what I mean? So like there's more than one part of how to get clean. But the main thing is just decide, I don't want to do this anymore. Once you've decided, I don't want to do this, then you need to figure out, you know, because you're going to go through those points where um, I think most people, like you're talking about having stimulus other than the drugs. Well, I already had bodybuilding the whole time. So it's like, what would I add to that? I just kept going with bodybuilding. I was addicted to heroin. I was competing on stage on heroin. Like my dealer came to the show that day to give me a hit because I needed the hit to get on stage. So my thing was when I was getting out of the detox and stuff like that, I just kept doing bodybuilding, focus on bodybuilding, focus on bodybuilding. That stimulus was there all the time. You know what I mean? But it's more of um the bodybuilding teaches you like self representative self like I don't want to say self reliance, but you have to rely on yourself. Even if you have a training partner, you're in the gym training on your own. You know what I mean? You have to do the the training. You have to get up in the morning. You have to eat the meals. So when you look at, like, addiction, well, you're the one that has to do the work for that, too. You have to figure out why you're doing it. You have to figure out what caused you to do it. You have to figure out what the next steps are to keep you off of it and work on the tools that when those bad things arise in your life, you have the emotional tools to deal with it. You're not going to go back to drugs. Like, it all boils down to you. But, again, bodybuilding gave me the tools to be able to get off the heroin which you know i don't know i know most people are not lucky enough to have something in their life that um would be able to do that would be able to kind of guide them through getting off whatever addiction they're in but you know it's not so much a stimulus it was more of i needed to keep the routine from the bodybuilding lifestyle that kept me going while i was going through the addiction Mm -hmm. so when when i walked away from the drugs i still had that routine i get up in the morning do my cardio eat my meal go to the gym you know what i mean like i still had that routine Whereas. A lot of people doing drugs, they just sit around the house and do nothing, all day, all night, they're just on drugs. But when you stop, what do you do? You're bored. There's nothing left to do. You know what I mean? So they start trying to find other things. You know, they're like, okay, maybe I'll take up boxing or the gym or whatever. And and that's the stimulus you're talking about, because they're trying to get away from one thing to the other. But for me, it was the routine and not really the stimulus that got me through that period, that transitional period to get off drugs.
0: So I think it's getting a good structure with a a compelling future. So you have a purpose in life, because when you don't, yes. just like you said, like if you're bored and you like just try to switch it with something else, but you, you're not crystal clear, you're not focusing your life, or you have a goal, then you will get around and you will do the same old shit, right? Yeah,
1: I mean you gotta be willing to change your entire life too. Like I moved away from my home. You know, I live about nine, ten hours away from where I live, to Get away from all the people that were involved with it. Um, get away from everything that I do. You know, like it you have to be willing to do whatever it takes to get clean. And the thing about bodybuilding is you're willing to do whatever it takes. You'll take any drug, you'll eat zero carbs, you'll do three hours of cardio a day, you'll do whatever it takes to win that show. So that mindset is bred into you as a bodybuilder, like whatever it takes, like the Rich Piano mindset, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Like, you know, people would say something like, oh man, we're going to have to cut your carbs. I don't care, whatever it takes to get to this day, I don't give
0: a shit. So how did you, know, you deal, the, a, for example, when you like felt that urgency to do this again with addiction or something? Or the addiction like you have like you you find yourself in a point like your body and your mind start to like think about it you feel always, it yeah.
1: so yeah, it never goes away it's always there so um when you have pain you really want to medicate to get rid of the pain so when you have some kind of emotional pain you want to medicate by taking drugs you know to, to stop that thought process so what I do now is like, you know, I, I never get to the point where I want, like, nothing affects me to make me want to do it, but I'll have dreams and nightmares that I'm taking it. Like I'll wake up in cold sweats that I, I was doing heroin. Like it's the most bizarre thing. Your brain never lets go of it for the rest of your life. But you have to realize that, you know, it's a chemical thing. It's not real. You know what I mean? Like your body doesn't need that to survive. It's not air. It's not food. It's a chemical that your brain wants because it wants to be at ease. So I look at it as like, well, what am I doing right now that's got my brain not at ease? Nothing, nothing's happening that's making me upset or stressed out or anything like that, but your brain craves it from time to time. And um, I think that a lot of people, they look at cravings like they have to take care of it. Like I've had people say stuff like, oh man, I just craving chocolate, so I ate a whole cake, but I'm good now. And I'm like, you ate the whole cake, but it set you back. That's like a drug addict saying like, oh, I really wanted to take a hit, so I took one hit, but I'm good now, right? Well, my thing is, if I wanted the chocolate cake, I go, I'm not going to eat the chocolate cake. Like, it doesn't make any sense. It's stupid. Yeah, I want it, but that's dumb. It's going to do this, have this effect, whatever. And it's like an itch. If you don't scratch it, the craving or the want to use something or eat something goes away. Like If you get up in the middle of, of your craving and you want chocolate cake and you go in the kitchen, you make a protein shake that's vanilla, it's not even chocolate, and you drink that thing, you sip that shake, within five minutes you don't even want the cake anymore. Like The craving will pass, just like an itch. So is the same thing with drugs. The problem is people give in to the drugs a lot easier. Like It's a very strong craving. But you basically just don't give into it. And if you've been starving yourself on a, uh, you know, it goes back to bodybuilding. If you eat no carbs for 10 weeks on a keto diet, you have to restrict yourself from the carbs. Saying no to heroin is really not a big deal. You know what I mean? Or saying no to a certain food is really not a big deal. So like it just kind of, again, it conditions you to learn that, you know, I'm going to want these things from time to time. It's not good for me. And then what happens is like if I did get a craving or have one of those dreams, I'll play it over my head. I'll be like, do you know what would happen if you did it once? You'd be off and running, you'd lose your business, you'd lose your family, you'd lose everything. Like everything would be gone that you built for 16 years. Why would you do that? And mm-hmm. because it's not a counselor telling me, it's just me telling myself, you start to understand. It. You know what I mean? You go, yeah, why would I do that? It's so dumb, this craving is so dumb. And then I start talking about the addiction like it's a, um, a person. Like this thing is so dumb. Why is it always around, you know, up my ass? Why does it want to come? like, you start looking at it as its own entity trying to get at you. Mm -hmm. rather than something that's in you you know what i mean like i feel like it's out of me and it's outside now and it used to be inside so now it's a matter of you know if i choose to pick up that needle again i choose i don't have to do that if Mm -hmm. i choose to go on a no-carb diet i choose it if i choose to do a show i choose it so now i look at everything in my life is choices everything is a choice you know when you're on drugs and addicted it's no longer a choice you can't take you can't stop taking it because you get sick and the sickness is undescribable to anybody that's never gone through it but you're so scared of it that now if I did have a craving, let's say the worst thing, like my father passed away unexpectedly, it crushed me. And in my head it was like, you want to be away from this pain? Take something, take a Valium, take a Vicodin, take a a shot of heroin, take whatever. And I actually had to sit back and go, that's literally gonna ruin everything. That's literally gonna undo everything I've done for 16 years. And then, you know, cause this pain of my dad, is gonna pass. It's, if I start doing drugs, not only is it not gonna pass, but I'm not even gonna deal with it because I'll be high. So eventually, after I'm done ruining my life, I'll have to get sober and then deal with the fact that it's like a longer process than just dealing with pain. So, you know, everything, my perspective has changed on a lot of things like that. Like, I realize most pain is very short-term, and I think that people are very um, against pain at all. Like, I've had people me, oh, I'm so hungry. I'm like, you don't know what hunger is. Look at the people in Somalia. You know what I mean? Look at the people in Ethiopia. That's hunger. Just because you didn't have a cheeseburger for a week does not mean that you know you're starving and you're hungry you know if i have um a craving for heroin let's say i'll be like are you serious like you think that because um your client didn't want to do walking lunges today and you're mad about it or traffic was bad you think that requires heroin you know what i mean whereas a lot of people would They'd be like oh, man, i'm so stressed out. i just need to do this you know like i just kind of try to put everything in perspective and say like things are really not that bad what is bad is when you get hooked on heroin like your whole life goes to shit. so why would i want to do that you know what i mean
0: so it's not about like stop reacting and go into an automatic pilot in our head because many of us just like oh we're like oh it's started in group so what you do you became aware and you started to have an inner dialogue with yourself that's kind of interrupt your patterns and you build up a lot of pain inside your head because of all the past uh, that uh, you've been through that you when we see like oh my god if i'm gonna do it all over again then it's, yeah, it's dumb. It makes yeah. no sense, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: But I mean, that's the thing is, you get some condition. You condition yourself, and then you start really looking at things from the perspective of, you know, well, how bad really is it? You know, and I watch these other shows. I don't know if you've seen the shows like Intervention, um, Dope Sick Nation. These are TV shows that um, chronicle, they, they document drug addicts. And I watch their lives, and I go, that's exactly what my life is like. Like, there's no way around it. Like, you don't do heroin and you live a successful life. You know I mean? You do heroin and you eventually go down the tubes. Like, you don't do crack and become a famous rock star, you know what I mean? You do it when you become a rock star, and then you lose everything. So like, there's not not a single thing about drugs, I think in general, that you can control yourself, the drugs control you. So if you're already in control of yourself, and you know, my big thing is personal responsibility. Like this is on me, you know what I mean? If, if I have a bad day, that's on me. It's not on the person that's not wanting to, you know, work out or whatever the case may be, it's on me. So I have this personal responsibility for myself, and make sure I don't wind up in that position again. And I think a lot of people blame everybody else for things and not themselves. They'll point to everybody else and be like, well, my mom, she didn't want to give me $20, so that made me mad. So I went out and did heroin because i was so upset because she did this and she did that. It's like, well, your mom didn't have $20 to give you. Like, put it in perspective, right? So why are you mad? Because you don't have $20? Well, and need a job. Like, that's the dialogues I have with myself now. Instead of just blaming everything and everybody around me and saying I just need to get out of this situation by being high. You know, like now I think if I was in a situation like that, I would just remove myself from the situation rather than take care of when I keep myself in the situation. You know what I mean? Like you just literally just unplug yourself from whatever's going on, walk away from it. And there's a lot of things that don't bother me, that used to bother me, that, you know, you learn, like when you're getting ready for a show, things, certain things you go, I don't have time for that. I don't have the time to deal with that. Like you do that when you're getting ready for a show. You're like, I'll deal with it later. Like your car registrations, up, I'll deal with it later. I don't care if I get a ticket, I got a show, Right. But those same people, if they're addicted to heroin, can't say, Well I'm gonna um you know, I'm gonna I'll deal with it later. I try to get off heroin. You know what I mean? Like I'll just deal they'll be like, Oh, I can't go to rehab because I have a kid, I have this, I have a job, I have that. Like they, there's all these excuses as to why they can't do it as opposed to why they can do it. You know what I mean?
0: hmm Yes. Uh that's very powerful what you talked about today and I believe it's going to help Many people, because many have, I don't say maybe drug addictions, but we all have some sort of uh, bad habits or addictions that uh, we must be aware of, including myself. And once you are uh, start having more awareness and you build up that pain inside of you and understand that it's going to cost you and your dreams if you're not going to change it, then eventually we, we start making those little change. So the last question I have for you is what would be the legacy you would like to leave? I want,
1: well, you know, we'll we'll just just be honest, fuck it. Um, My dad passed away two years ago in October. We're coming up on the second anniversary. And um, he told my mom not to have a funeral. And my mom said, why? And he said, well, because no one's going to come anyways. I remember him saying that. And absolutely, absolutely to this day, just thinking about it, absolutely fucking breaks my heart that he thought no one would show up to his funeral. And when they all showed up, including this guy, who I didn't even know because I don't live there anymore, was his best friend. And they were all crying and talking about him and stuff. I said, this is what it's about. You know what I mean? When you leave, you know, the people that you leave behind and the things you leave behind are what it's about. It's not about what you do when you're here, you know, because you're only here for a short period of time. But if you can do something that lasts, you know, these guys winning the Mr. Olympia and stuff, like, you know, Kevin LaVarone never won a Mr. Olympia, but he would do things that would be out of character for somebody in his position. Like he went to the gym, and there was a kid there, and he saw Kevin, he recognized him, he said, oh my God, Mr. Laroni and Kevin said, I'm just about to work out, you wanna work out with me? And the kid was like, oh my God, yes, yeah, oh. oh so he works out with Kevin, and he's having this great time, and taking pictures and stuff, and then he writes Kevin a letter and leaves it at the gym a couple of days later, and he said, actually, he was at the gym, he goes, I was on my way home to kill myself. And he's like, I had, had enough, and I was gonna kill myself, but you oh. literally made me feel like somebody. You know, that took no no skin off Kevin's back whatsoever. You know what I mean? He was just like, yeah, it's going to work out, you know, whatever. Treated him like another human being, like he was just another person, like he was on the level of Kevin. And that kid's life has changed forever, you know what I mean? He's still alive. So my thing is like, I don't know whether it's going to be through YouTube, whether it's through speaking engagements, podcasts, whatever it is. Everything I leave behind, I want to affect people, even if they don't remember it was me. Even if they remember it was me that said it, or it was me where they learned it from, I don't care about my name, I don't care. What I want them to do is be aware that—not well, have them be aware—but I want them to have things at their disposal that make their lives better, make them think, make them be individuals, and that is my legacy. My legacy, leaving it behind, is just to leave a better place when I'm gone than when I got here.
0: You made me speechless. Oh, wow, that, that's that's <laughs> good. Wow, that's deep, man. Uh, wow, thank you so much for the time. I I really appreciate it. Uh, Shared us, gun, uh, you shared with us a know. lot of good stuff, uh, including your own personal journey and your own setback. So, I want to acknowledge you on that. And uh, where can people find you, of course?
1: Uh, BioStreetraining.com is my website. Um, all my social media, um, Jerry Ward. If you look for Jerry Ward, you're going to find it. On my Instagram, it's Jerry Wayne Ward. I actually use my middle name now that my father passed away. Um, it was both of our middle names. So as a kind of a tribute to him, I use um, Jerry Wayne Ward. But if you type in Jerry Ward bodybuilding on in Google, I'll, I'm like pretty much the only one that pops up. So Jerry Ward bodybuilding on Google, you'll find me instantly.
0: Awesome, and you're doing an amazing job, man. I saw your Instagram, like 5,000 posts, and you have your, <laughs> your big YouTube channel. So keep up the good work, man. That's it's really Thanks, inspiring. Thank, Thank you. you so much, man. If you enjoyed this interview or any other one from the Mind Body podcast, Feel free to subscribe to my podcast at iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud and at my YouTube channel. Also, feel free to share this podcast on Instagram by tagging the Mind Body Podcast. Do you want to be a part of the Mind Body Podcast? So remember the Fast Factor. The Fast Factor stands for one, Facebook. Become a part of the MindBody podcast community by joining our Facebook community just by searching on Facebook the MindBody podcast community. Number two, act. Don't just be a passive listener. Act upon what you've just learned by applying one simple thing from any episode or interview. Three, subscribe. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or if you're visual like me, then just search the Body podcast on YouTube. And number four, train others, cause just like I always said, leaders create leaders and you're all here to grow together and by training others, you're training yourself. So this is the fast factor, remember it, Facebook, act, subscribe and train others. and please feel free to leave a review which will engage all your VAX senses and the VAC senses stands for visual, auditory and kinesthetic which when you use all the three combined you remember stuff much better for more information about my coaching, public speaking and taking your mind and body to all new levels check my site at lidodayan.com till then never ever forget to smile. See you soon